day and welcome to our second season of Energy and Africa. Today we've got um, the folks at Mobile Power and we're joined by Luke Burris and Chris Longbottom. These gentlemen have been in Africa for a while and they've got exciting things to tell us about how they're engaging in the energy development of Africa. So with that, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And I'm going to start it out with a very open-ended question. Let you guys have the floor here for a little bit. Tell me about your company and how you guys got started. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, so it's good to be here. Um, our chairman many years ago uh, was in West Africa, specifically Gambia. And this was around the time that uh, solar home systems were really starting to explode onto the energy access market. Um, and he took one of these products and he showed it to a local colleague and said, what do you think to this product? Isn't this brilliant? And uh, this colleague said to him, yeah, this, this is good. It's great. Um, but really, if you're going to uh, hit you know, the billion off-grid uh, 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 people who have no energy, ideally, you give them something that just deals with their energy for today, something like a charge battery where they could just pay for the energy that they require today. Um, and so essentially, that's what we did. That's what we built. And it works really, really well. Um, and over time, we've come to learn that that's actually not a, a hugely unusual approach in Africa. So if you look at, for example, I, I like to give this example. If you look at washing powder and the consumption of washing powder, um, you've got this the leading brand, Omo. And customers typically will buy these, uh, buy Omo washing powder in single serving sachets from these local sellers. Um, and that seems a little strange on the face of it because it's definitely worse value to buy a single serving sachet than it is to buy a tub of say one liter or five liter of washing powder. Um, but obviously you've got to manage a budget um, from fairly small incomes in many cases. Uh, you've got to deal with uh, education, transport, food, healthcare and energies is one of those things. So if you choose to get the discounted five litre bucket of washing powder, um, you know, you may end up not being able to afford uh, healthcare or, 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 or school fees the next day. Um, so actually, this is quite a common uh, approach to the market. Um, and actually, that's at the core of, of how we approach uh, energy. Um, and that's how we started. Um, and the same applies to water and various other commodities as well. And, and why not energy, right? Um, so typically, the way that we operate is we'll have a MOPO hub with uh, a bunch of solar panels. We call them MOPO hubs. Um, we will have uh, 300 or so uh, batteries at various different uh, capacities. Um, and we'll have four MOPO agents who are serving, uh, you know, kind of thousands of uh, low thousands of customers um, within that. And to date, we've done uh, well over four million rentals um, across six African nations. And so uh, what countries are you in then? Yeah, so really, we, we started off doing some early technology piloting in the Gambia, but <clears throat> our first full pilot was in Sierra Leone back in 2017. Um, and then since then, we've expanded pretty much every large town in Sierra Leone. We've moved into Liberia with the same team. Recently, we moved into Nigeria. And then we also operate with partners in Uganda, the Gambia, um, and Zambia as well. So we've got a fairly widespread. This year, there'll be a few more countries coming into the, uh, coming into the family as well. So we've, we've got a pretty good spread 
um, currently uh, West Africa, East Africa, some Southern African nations. Ultimately, we're excited about the whole of Sub-Saharan Africa at this point. So with that many different countries, with a technology that's fairly new for some of these countries as well, how do you deal with jobs and people servicing and the whole, um, you know, mm. local content value of what you guys could offer? So I, I think the premise that we had when we started Mobile Power, obviously we're British. Um, the premise that we had was if you can take technology that exists and apply it to an African marketplace that largely gets, gets ignored in lots of different contexts, then you can create a fantastic marketplace and a revolutionary product for a lot of these nations. But you can't just take technology and shove it into the market and hope that it works. You have to use local market knowledge. You have to use local market entrepreneurs. You have to use local market technology, local market financing, if you want this to be truly an African solution. So we see ourselves as bringing that technology ultimately to local entrepreneurs. So for instance, our Sierra Leonean team are entirely Sierra Leonean. There are, there, are, mm. there are no British guys there. Same in Nigeria, same in Liberia. So we, we see this as bringing capital, bringing equipment into those local entrepreneurs um, and allowing them to go and operate that business. We've then automated it. So we have a very powerful platform that allows us to, to manage you know, hundreds and thousands of agents and locations. But ultimately, it's about enabling that local entrepreneur through innovation, for access to capital, through technology. That's where we see our, our, our place. Um, and that's why we've been able to build such a large company with so many um, local employees and, and local agents. So, so how did you get involved then, Luke? Ah, there you go. Well, Chris and I grew up together. Um, and um, I'd like to say that um, I'm the reason that Chris is in Sheffield, but he'll he'll kick me under the table for that. Um, yeah. He, uh, mobile power got started relatively slowly. A lot of people working part-time on it. Um, and I was working, um, I was working in the chemical industry and in the power industry as a chartered mechanical engineer. So I had a fairly well cut um, career path for me. And I think after a few years, I was just getting incredibly bored. Um, and one day when I'd had a particularly boring and unproductive day, Chris rang me up and said, Hey, this mobile power thing, it's going to be real. It's really happening. We need somebody with um, your experience and what you've done to come and help us take this from where it is now to, to being a full company. And I think, I don't know, Chris, I, I'd expect that you'd expected me to say, no, I'm quite enjoying my career. And actually, I, I just had a bad day and I said, yes. Um, and so that was five years ago. Um, and since then, we've, we've built something that we're, we're very proud of. We still feel like it's the very early beginnings and um, we're really excited about, about what the next decade or two has to has to bring for, for mobile power and the team that we've managed to build since then. So that brings a great, you know, setup for the next discussion point here is to say, what is the next decade? I mean, there's three, <laughs> there's, there's a couple different products behind you guys. You have some batteries on the table, like a few different things. What are you guys seeing as the opportunity here? Yeah, great question again. Um, I think it's really interesting when we think about what our company is and what it does, because it's very easy for us to uh, perceive ourselves as a company that, you know, uh, solves energy access for, for, for households with, with phone charging and lighting, you know, as an alternative to the solar home system model. But actually, with what we've said so far, I think we like to um, 
we like to think that our core competency as a company is to understand local markets and develop um, technology which is designed for and works in that local context. Mm. So if you take, for example, um, the Mopo 50, which I have here, and the Mopo Max, which we use in our e-mobility uh, products, these batteries are, are vastly different. So uh, one is 20 times larger in energy than the other. And some of our um, customers, which I'm sure we'll get onto in, 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 the, in the EV space, you know, these guys can use kind of, you know, tens of kilowatt hours um, each day, which is 200 times larger than a, a Mopo 50 customer. So on the face of it, they seem like they would sit in very different kind of segments of the market. Um, but because our competency is kind of the depths of supply chain of having kind of developed these products um, specifically tailored for the markets to digitize and commercialize kind of this opportunity, um, we actually uh, realized that that same technology and that same supply chain and that same engineering team that you see here behind us um, could solve the same problem for, um, for example, e-mobility. So in the, I think in the next decade, um, we see and we imagine, and Luke and I regularly talk about reimagining um, what it could be like in the kind of um, wide open spaces of, of, de of developing African nations to, to, to build a grid with batteries at the centre, uh, whether that starts off grid or ends up completely off on grid, or whether that's mini grids or whether that's uh, e-mobility, you know, batteries are clearly going to play a very significant role. Uh, and I think we would, uh, we would see ourselves as, as a core player um, within that space as it develops. And I think our flexibility and, and, and innovation um, will kind of hopefully um, just go from strength to strength in that space. And I think, I think there's, two, there's two things that really lend mobile power to this, to this world. And they're probably a lot to do with the character of, of some of the team members that we've got. Um, so on the one side, you've got the kind of the big picture, the dreaming. You know, I remember my first trip to Freetown in Sierra Leone and um, you fly in on one peninsula, and then you get a ferry across to the main city. And um, a couple of weeks before this trip, I'd been in California with my wife, and we were talking about the, the gold rush um, in California in the 1800s and the kind of the ability that if you could build it, it would work and anything was possible and the economy's booming and stuff's just amazing and, and there for the taking. And I was kind of bemoaning to my wife that I'd love to have been around in that time and that pioneering spirit and you can build anything within your lifetime. And then I got off the boat in, um, in Freetown on my first trip there. And I had the exact same feeling in Freetown. You know, it's a, it's a genuine frontier place. Entrepreneurship is raw and harsh and real, but you can build something um, from scratch in a, in a short number of years. And, you know, so I look back on that first trip and what we were imagining doing. And then what we've got there now and the amazing team, we're in every big town in Sierra Leone in just a couple of years with, with not an incredible amount of investment. And I think that is true in sub-Saharan Africa. You can go somewhere with a big dream. If you work really hard, you can you can build it. But then actually what we've what we've what we've done is we've built something that's really competent and works in, in the Mopo 50 product and in these Mopo hubs that we're now leveraging. You know, we're not satisfied. We're both quite young. We're not satisfied with that product and that project. We want to take it further. So we're leveraging that into the e-mobility market into the tuk-tuk market into the generator replacement market that's probably the next two to three years we have ambitions for for banking and bringing consumers into the global banking system into the global credit system and um, ultimately our business runs on local entrepreneurs 
And those local entrepreneurs are no less bright than anybody else. They just have less access to capital. So if you can begin to shift these things around using data, using access to technology, we think there are some incredible um, developmental, but also means some incredible business opportunities to be had um, in sub-Saharan Africa. And it's the new gold rush. So with any gold rush, with any business, there's always criticisms. Yeah. <laughs> you can look, yes. And you can, we look, don't yeah. have any criticisms. No, no, no it's all good. Right. So if, if I were to look at this and I'd say, oh, you guys are a disposable company and you know, once the battery life is done, like you're leaving batteries behind and like, you're actually not doing anything good from that perspective, you would say what? Yeah, there's a few different, different angles to this question. And we think about this a lot and we get asked it a lot and we do a lot about it. So it's, um, it's a really interesting one. Um, we, we have a really interesting kind of closed loop recycling um, policy that I think Luke, Luke will talk you through in a minute. Um, but one thing that's really interesting uh, from the EV perspective specifically is that we actually, um, uh, with our uh, Mopo Max battery, uh, we designed the battery to have um, multiple lives uh, from inception, right? So. Uh -huh. When we um, build a battery and, and, and import a battery for an electric motorbike, we design it such that once it's no longer giving an adequate range um, for electric mobility, we put it into applications where energy density is less of a concern. Um, and those applications for us are equally as commercial and they're operated crucially by mobile power. These are not kind of you know, tack on the end, wouldn't it be nice if we could take a, an old EV battery pack and put it into, mm. you know, grid level storage that's some sort of idea or, or, or grant project? You know, this is actually a commercial reality that the generator replacement application does not require the energy density that we have in the motorbikes. And with the motorbike fleet, it's very important that we guarantee a uh, consistent range uh, to riders such that once batteries no longer provide that range, um, we move them into this new field. Um, and then even beyond that, we have additional storage applications that are our third life. Um, and then once we really truly are at the end of a battery's life, um, you know, we, we, we don't want to be leaving, the, leaving them around. And that's where our, our recycling policy comes in, which I'll, I'll let Luke talk about. We didn't actually tee this up, but it looks like we, we practiced it, which is good. Um, <laughs> so for us, I think um, one of the major problems that exists in sub-Saharan Africa with lead-acid batteries particularly is if you import a lead-acid battery, you sell it and you wash your hands of it generally and see you later. And then somebody at the end of it, that, the life of that battery has to deal with it. And that person right, usually right. doesn't have the, the, the capital, the wherewithal. And so a lot of the time, this stuff just gets poured into the ground and burnt on a bonfire. Hmm. It's shocking, but that is often the case. Yeah. yeah. At Mobile Power, we own these batteries. Really? We, we import them to ourselves and we own them throughout the entire life of, of that battery. So wow. you know, okay. through the first life, through the second life. And more than that, we're interacting with this battery through our platform every day. So we're seeing its life. We're seeing what's happening. We're seeing what it's being used for. We're seeing how its cycle life's behaving. We're seeing the temperatures that it's um, operating at. Yeah. All of this stuff. So we're able at live at any moment to look at our entire inventory across the whole continent and say, that battery needs retiring next time it comes in. So the agent automatically is unable to rent it out. Our area managers then collect that, comes back to the HQ, and then we ship containers of, of lithium ion batteries 
back to Europe. Unfortunately, there's no lithium ion recycling yet sub Saharan Africa, although I'm sure some great entrepreneur will do so, where those are recycled properly and, and put back into the value chain. So I think we have this end to end ownership. And we have the ability and the scale really to deal with these problems. So how, how do you ensure that somebody at the end of a life battery brings it back? Like it is it, and they're not recharging yeah. it themselves or, you know, trying yeah. to do so. What, what, what is it about your system, your proprietary product that says, yeah, they have to return it or yeah. walk us through that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the product looks like it would be a, a regular power bank, right? So it's got four USB sockets on it for those who, who are listening, not watching. Yeah. Um, it's got a lantern built in um, and it's got a couple of higher power ports that you could run, you know, TVs and fans and, and higher, higher power appliances with. But the really big difference between the household smaller product, and this applies to both battery packs, to be honest, um, is that they do not have chargers in them. Um, they do not have charging circuitry in them that's taken out and that's within our proprietary charging uh, infrastructure and equipment. And they also have security uh, and, and a data model built into the security um, uh, for the, the battery itself, which is called the BMS. So the, the battery management system, BMS, um, is designed in-house um, by Mobile Power. Um, and the ability to turn that on and off um, is not only part of the safety function to make sure the battery is, is kept safe, and, and that's essential for all lithium-ion batteries to operate safely, but it also provides us a, um, a, a location, a place in which we can secure the battery from a technological perspective. But because the data model is built into the battery, um, uh, you can interact with the battery over an Android app with um, various different uh, IoT technologies. So we have Bluetooth, we have NFC, which for those of you who make contactless payments, you, you'll you'll be familiar with, you know, paying for your uh, subway ticket on your phone in, in many places. Um, you can scan these batteries with a smartphone to activate them. And that enables us to have an entire app-based system, uh, which is what you have to use in order to be able to activate these, even if they're fully charged. So if this battery is fully charged, it's not available for discharge for, for anybody. Um, and if it's fully discharged, it's not available for charge by anybody. So both the discharge and the charge side are secured um, and require to either be uh, interacted by our app or plugged into our charger. So that means that our agents are able to rent these batteries out using NFC smartphones or NFC devices that we give to those agents. And the customers don't need a, an app. They can pay in cash, in fact. Um, but we get all of that, all of those revenues aggregated in, up in mobile money. So we're able to operate at the hyper-local level with consumers who are unbanked, consumers who don't have access to mobile money, who only have cash, all the way up to the international banking system that enables us to move large amounts of money around, be sure that investors are confident in what we're doing at scale. It's transparent we can see where all the money's moving and, and who's and who's got it that's very powerful and i think um Absolutely. you know we we're interacting with these batteries every day we've done you know four million of these of these interactions and we we get very reliable results um this business is is profitable it's growing and we're applying the same technology into new business into new sectors so we're very well, excited you know again you've sort of led into my next sort of whole thing is to say you know what forms of payment can you take and how does mm. that allow you to access sub-Saharan Africa? But mm. it sounds to me like you guys can take anything from, you know, 
cash to to digital money uh, and cell phone money you know mm. and the unbanked of of of, of africa really are accessible uh, yeah. from you know from, from your platform and you know that was something that we built in right from the right from the start so john Ray, our, our chairman and one of the co-founders had done a lot of work in sub-saharan africa over a number of decades and had those connections and those relationships to understand where the customers are. And I think something that's tempting as, as, as entrepreneurs who didn't grow up there to do is to come in and bring technology and ask customers to adapt to that technology or bring Western ideas of, of, of debt and leasing and ask consumers to, to adapt to that. We fundamentally think that you have to meet the consumer where they're at. If you go to business school, that's the first thing. What's the customer need? So we've always started with the customer first and said, okay, how can we use technology to connect that customer into a wider system, into something that's systemizable, but ultimately hyper-local? So we've always started with, with that principle, right from the types of energy they need to the types of payment they have access to, to do you have mobile phone network coverage there or not? And how does the agent interact with language and written language and all of these things mm, yeah. start with the customer and build the technology to, to bring, um, to bring solutions to that customer. And I think that's why we've been successful quickly. We've not had to do lots of translation for our customers. We've done that in the technology layer of our business model, if you like. And you see, um, you do see, you know, a lot of, uh, businesses seeking to scale in these markets will insist on the adoption of mobile money, which mm. is perfectly understandable. Um, but for us, it was just that that wasn't our, uh, our, our hope. Our hope was to, to to meet customers where they were at, and so cash payments that were then later digitized automatically was uh, critical for us, um, uh, so that we could build a, a local and a scalable business. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have those two together, then you know we hadn't got the right solution. So you guys have used this call it phrase term a few times now, and it poses an interesting sort of dichotomy or question here. I think Luke, you might know where I'm going on this. No, I'm nervous because I'm not sure what phrase it is. I'm thinking, I'm trying to wrap my brain. <laughs> um, are you guys a, a purveyor of batteries? Are you an operator? You know, a, a ah. bit, or or are you a technology company? What what is it that you provide to as a service? Hmm. It, it's a it's a question. I think that we gassed a lot. So yeah, you're you're right. I think um, f for us, traditional uh, business models that you would have in the global north, which is a phrase we've, we've taken from you, Chris, um, we very much like it. You would say let's let's um, let's stack this part of the value chain on that part of the value chain. So let's be a technology provider to an operator, and somebody else can go and do that bit, and let's stack in the finance bit, and let's stack in this bit. What we found. Um, operating in places like Sierra Leone, which as we said with frontier markets is usually have to build from scratch all the way from where you want to start. Um, whether that's just having power in your office um, all the way to serving your customer, you have to build that entire stack. And so I think in the early days we started wanting to be the operator and we found that there was nobody that could build the technology that we're talking about because you were trying to combine lots of modules of existing technology, but in a way that had never been imagined, IoT, for instance. Um, so we had to become a technology developer. So we, you know, the guys that are sat behind me, for those who are watching in the video, that's the design and engineering team that we have here in the UK. Mm. Those guys have had to learn how to de 
design this stuff from scratch, from, from first principles, software, hardware, firmware, um, and all the, all the mechanical elements as well. Then we said, okay, let's try and operate this. And we tried with partners and often we struggled to get the connection that we're talking about between the customer and the technology. Mm. If you don't operate this and create the technology, you can't create those linkages about meeting with customer where they're at with the technology. And that's, that's the secret source of mobile power is that ability to take innovation, apply it to a customer segment that's never been thought about and link the two up. Um, and I think that's been a real strength for us. So the answer is both. We develop the technology that we then operate. That said, we're very keen, I think, in the next couple of years to, to operate that alongside partners as well so we can reach greater scale, reach more customers with this solution and, and bring about more transformation for our agents and for our customers. Yeah, we, de- we definitely see um, uh, leveraging um, th- this opportunity with partners is, mm. is a key part of our future. Mm. Um, but, but we learn, you know, through experience that if you have not operated your own technology in these markets, you can't actually uh, provide it in a, in a useful way um, to those who would seek to operate it. So um, we will always, to an extent, operate our own technology. Um, but we also are excited to, uh, uh, to, to, we have a number of partners, for example, on our uh, e-mobility um, products um, and, and as well with the household product in various different markets. So let, let's, let's delve into that e- e-mobility side. I mean, because that is, as we, as we know, like a huge, I mean, energy as a service has taken over parts of uh, uh, the continent um, and there are people that have partnered with global brand names and, you know, mm. they, they, you know, you rent out a battery and you go from there and, you know, but nobody seems to really have tackled this EV side the way you guys have. I mean, you, you really seem to have cracked the nut here. Um, what, what, what is the market potential and where do you see the most opportunity for you guys to grow here? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, Anyone who's been to Africa knows the deal with motorbikes, right? Um, they are absolutely everywhere in most, uh, Af- not all, but most African countries. Um, and a lot of African tr- countries have interesting relationships with motorbikes. Tuk-tuks are also big. Uh, and, you know, this is for obvious reasons. They're, um, you know, the principle we talked about earlier with the, with the Omo uh, uh, washing sachet. The motorbike is the transport equivalent of that in many ways. Okay, so it's kind of the most divisible unit of of of, uh, of transport, apart from perhaps the unicycle, um, which is <laughs> impractical. Um, so Maybe we should look at that. We should really look at the unicycle. <laughs> and it's your college is co- your college days are coming back. You wrote one, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, scratch our series B based upon e-mobility, <laughs> unicycles. Let's go. It's, it's the kind of innovation that we, we expect to have their power, um, the, the Mopo unicycle. So, you know, in Nigeria, for example, there's, there's 3 million uh, motorbike taxi riders, um, you know, and the growth rate is insane. You know, you're talking 10% plus uh, per annum mm. in, in many markets, you know, Sierra Leone, sim- similar growth figures. And um, of course, we all know the dynamic with Africa as a whole in terms of population growth. Um, you know, especially Nigeria really stands out there. Um, and and what's really interesting for us about our approach to e-mobility is that we, and I think we touched on this briefly earlier, um, but we decided from day one that our uh, our battery that was going to work in in the motorbike, which we see as a real kind of flagship um, application. 
was going to have to work in more than one application. It could not simply be a motorbike battery. And the reason for that is what we touched on earlier. Um, so a motorbike battery will be great for a motorbike battery, but if you've ridden an e-bike or if you've, you know, if you've, um, if you've, if you've had any kind of battery, a smartphone, you know that the, the the capacity of that battery fades over time, right? So in a couple of years, your your iPhone that once had a brilliant battery is no longer looking quite so hot, and that's probably one of the drivers for you looking to your next next phone. And the, the same thing applies across uh, many different battery types, and it's a big question about EVs. So we said from day one, well, look, you know, um, yes, there are 3 million motorbikes in Nigeria. And yes, that's a colossal market uh, uh, for, for the right technology solution. But it's also a very challenging market. You know, you've got motorbikes that will die very quickly. Um, you know, once two years, maintenance is a real challenge, chains, sprockets, clutches, gearbox, engines, all this kind of stuff. And typically the warranties on engines are very short. Um, but then you've also got um, other applications which are potentially just as interesting as e-mobility. So we talk about something that we call generator replacement, right? Yeah. And I know that in a previous uh, podcast, you, you've, you've used the uh, statistic before about the $14 billion uh, that Nigeria, again, spends every year on uh, generators and fuel for generators. Um, and that's usually in many of these cases, uh, and we can attest to from experience, that's usually on top of having paid for um, an estimated energy bill if you're lucky enough to be connected to the grid, right? Mm -hmm. So you're paying a certain amount to be connected to the grid. You're probably getting a few hours of energy a day. And then you've also got to pay for the fuel for your generator. You have your generator and then you've usually got a spare generator because when one of them breaks, which happens regularly, just like with the motorbike, you've got to switch it out and get that one repaired, right? So you've got this crazy setup with the generators. And what we realized is that actually this battery um, can power the motorbikes, which is a very sexy and exciting business model. We think we can achieve that commercially. Um, but we've then got this flow of batteries into this generator replacement market, which is um, a, a probably higher level of return. Um, and of course, you don't have to buy a motorbike to get into that game, right? You can have a standalone battery rental. So many of our hubs will rent these these batteries um, for generator replacement as well. Um, and we think the complementary nature of these business models and the fact that this battery can also run the tuk-tuk you see behind us um, and be used in, in different contexts is, is quite a unique approach. Um, so, yeah. I think I think one of the key things that distinguishes our approach is <clears throat> there are actually quite a lot of electric motorbikes well-developed and, and ready to go, um, especially if you, if you have supply chain coming out of the east which we, we have very a lot of experience with on a daily basis so actually what's really spinning this well you go to Sierra Leone and we have a generator in our office there and everybody who needs power needs to have a generator because energy grid is sporadic there are then Sierra Leone right now 40,000 motorbikes running on petrol not running on electricity so what happens if you move those bikes over to the grid that is already sporadic and already overloaded? Well, the problem gets worse for transport and the problem gets worse mm. for, 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 for access to energy. So how do you really, what's the real problem here? And the real problem um, is that you need to switch the energy source from petrol to renewable sources. And you need to do that scalably. You know, nobody's nobody's about to spend sixty bazillion pounds on on doing this in one hit in these in these developing economies. It's got to be done slowly. Uh, sorry, it's got to be done in small bite-sized chunks. Um, 
Um, and, and so we developed the Mopo hub that we have existing, and we're now applying that to, to e-mobility. So riders can come in and swap their batteries multiple times a day. They're using large chunks of energy, but they can reliably swap those batteries because it's coming from the sun, which Africa has plenty of. Um, and, um, and we're seeing that work out very well commercially. I think what's great is that we're not creating a new business. These, these riders, these 40,000 riders are already riding every day. They already understand their unit economics. And with solar and our battery swap system, we can massively undercut the current unit economics. So it's ripe for disruption, to use a cliche word, um, but also it makes a lot of sense of our existing technology. And so we're very quickly scaling that pilot up this year um, and we're really excited about the solutions. We're really excited about the partners that we're going to work with that. You know, we don't have lots of experience operating Boda networks, but there are some companies that really do. Um, and so we're, we're very excited about um, our okay. play in that, in that space. So two, two questions come up to mind. Um, that, well, first is uh, I'm looking over your shoulder and I'm seeing, I'm guessing that's the power bank that gets charged up to uh, a solar panel for the battery squad. That's what somebody's swapping in and out of. Is that correct? Yeah, so over over my shoulder yep, here, um, yep, that's yep, the charge yep. unit for the Mopo Fifty, actually. Okay. So um, we work very hard on 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 charging cycles and optimization and all that kind of stuff. So that's a key piece. So how long does a battery place. take to recycle? Ah, I, I come question. in, I go foop foop, and it's a sunny day. How long is it taken for me to 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 as a business to say I can recirculate that battery again? If if and this is one of the things that our business does very well and the firmware engineers that you can also see stuff behind me have focused on a lot over the years. We do a lot of work with universities looking at cycle life optimization at, at elevated temperatures and, and various different profiles. And so what we've been able to do is, is optimize cycle life based upon commercial outcomes. Okay, yeah. If you, rent, if you bought this battery back um, at a peak time in the day, and we know when the peak times in the day are at various different hubs, Sure. We'd want to get that charged really quickly so it can be rented back to another customer because that's going to give a revenue event for our agents Absolutely. and for us. Yeah, yeah. So we can do 70 odd minutes um, to go from battery, battery dead to battery out again. But if you brought this back at midnight, we probably right. don't want to charge it up super quickly. We want to wait until it's sunny in the morning, one. Um, and the, the peak time might be way later in the day. So we might charge it over 16 hours, for instance. Gotcha. And that enables us to maximize the number of revenue events that battery is going to have in its life, maximize its cycle life um, that it's going to provide to customers. And, and, and that's algorithm-based. Um, and really, that's what sets us apart from a lot of the competition. It's what's going to really set us apart in the e-mobility space, especially. Um, because these businesses, you're talking about assets that are working hard. Um, and you have to make that asset work hard for as long as possible. So now comes to part two of the question. Over your yeah. other shoulder is a bike, right? And so you're saying they, there's 40,000 of them in, in Sierra Leone and you're going from there. Yeah. It becomes, okay, there's a capital outlay for an EV, right? Mm -hmm. And beyond just the battery, the cost of there, mm -hmm. what sort of adoption are you getting, you know, or are you seeing as you're providing this, this efficient, probably cost, you know, reduction type event for them, but they yeah. have a capital outlay for a bike. Yeah, great that, question. Yeah. I yes. mean, I, I'll start and then Chris could come in. But the biggest problem that our riders have of the e-motorbikes at the moment is that they struggle to actually do their jobs because they're getting mobbed by so many people that want to ride them. Um, really? Um, because they're so they're such a fascinating machine. Um, and so that's the biggest problem. They're, they're very much selling themselves at the moment. And there's a okay. premium for, for getting a ride on a, on a on an EV because it's just so fascinating. That won't, that won't last forever, but... 
it's just an yeah, interesting yeah, yeah, caveat. Yeah. Chris I mean, can give you the real answer to the question. Yeah, I mean, yeah. some of these markets, people have they've, they've heard and read in the news about this idea of EVs, but they've never seen they've never seen one because, of course, these are not markets that Tesla is you know is, yeah. is looking to export to right, right. Uh, post haste. And um, but look, I mean, we vehicle finance is a thing that's been around for for quite some time, and it it, it exists in the informal market as well as in the more formal market. So you have providers of vehicle finance who are, who are quite well known okay. um, you know, operating in East Africa and now increasingly um, we're having conversations with, with, with those guys in, in West Africa as well. Yep. But th- there is an existing uh, setup for um, uh, riders financing commercial motorbikes. Um, and we're tapping into that in such a way that means that we can focus on um, on on financing the battery and the battery charging infrastructure, whilst leveraging the existing uh, familiar schemes um, that the the riders have for financing the vehicles. But where it gets really interesting is that we digitise that process for them. So instead of having to kind of like, oh. I've got a vehicle finance and so I'm having to pay every day or every week into yeah. my account. Um, every time a rider does a battery swap, we are facilitating those transactions um, through a single point, which is the, the battery swap point. So that means that we wow. automate the, uh, the, the finance um, receivables yeah. for the financing companies, um, which is very helpful. And it, it, because bikes require fuel, um, and in this case, that fuel is batteries, you know, the filling station becomes the, the single point at which you also um, uh, pay your vehicle finance. And you're also, you know, to come back to that washing powder, the minimum the minimum size of something that you can provide to a consumer who's very constrained on cash flow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's our customers, um, our riders and the people that ride those. If you can make that an even smaller bite-sized thing, um, that gets very exciting very quickly and you can you can really allow people to grow things. Then what happens if you do, you know, lease to own on those bikes and you put those bikes in the hands of those riders and those bikes last longer than the lease of the um, the lease period? Mm. Well, then you put in capital in the hands of people who've never had capital um, accumulation before. What happens when you have capital accumulation? You build an economy, and then awesome. I think awesome. that's one awesome. of the things that really drives us. We're yet to get to to prove that point, but I think yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that gets me out of bed on the morning. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I think the 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 idea that you call it. It's market specific, like you said before. You're not taking, oh, here's how you run a finance company from the global north and, and, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, GE Finance does this and therefore mm-hmm. we'll go in. And it, it, no, it's a completely different thing. And, it, and it's, like you said, um, it, it, it's the idea that energy equals GDP growth in yeah. whatever mm-hmm. kind of forms. And it, it, that while you guys were both saying this, I had the thought that in some ways, um, are you a distribution company? Are mm. you a transmission company? Are you a generator? In so, you know, you become an independent power producer full cycle for the entire process. Yeah. It's not to say you're overrunning state utilities, but as we know, across Sub-Saharan Africa, there's only two in the black. Everybody else is in the red because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what happens at the meter, what happens at transmission, you know, all that kind of stuff. You guys have, have cracked this nut of how to software as a service, energy as a service models, but then you've taken it one step further. And, and, and how you're able to empower local communities is outstanding. That's really well, well done, guys. Well done. 
Yeah, and on, on the on the national energy providers as well, we want to talk to those guys. You know, we don't see ourselves as um, as as coming in and replacing them at all. We we want to partner. We want to talk with them. You know, we want to we want to put our solutions in the hands of of, of local people. It's a very important part of our philosophy. So, if you're from um, one of those one of those organisations, pop on our website, come chat to us. We want to talk to you. We want to partner with you. You know, which I'm glad you brought that up too, because it was one of the things I was going to ask you is just say, you know, if you were to have that moment now and just say, we would most like to speak with somebody in Africa, whether that be a, a government, an entrepreneur, mm. a somebody, you know, who would you most like to speak to in Africa? Um, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a great question. And um, I think we're very much interested in people who can help us bring this solution to, to more customers. Um, you know, we, we, we started, um, you know, in the last decade, we got going. And so we don't have a long legacy and a colossal balance sheet that we can draw upon. So anybody that's got balance sheet that's interested in deploying energy solutions to, to, to millions and millions of people, we want to talk to people like that. So we want to talk to existing operators. We want to talk to existing operators of grid systems and generator systems of vehicle leasing organizations of, um, of, of, of people that own networks. And we want to work with those guys to leverage those networks. Um, but then we also want to talk to entrepreneurs as well who, who see this opportunity um, and have some capital to, to work with us on, on deploying this at scale. For us, we feel like the limit for us at the moment is, is the access to capital to really deploy this. We developed a solution that is very light touch on, on management, um, but brings people into, into, into the Mopo family um, in a very powerful way. The faster we can accelerate that, it's based upon people who can set up project finance with us, who can partner with us in all kinds of ways. So it's a pretty classic answer, but it's, it's, it's finance and it's partners who have existing operating um, footprint. Spectacular. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, any, any, if we were to sort of wrap up now, guys, and say, okay, I, this is your chance to get on your um, soapbox. Chris has just given us, or, or rather, Luke has just given us a, a view of to say how he wants to grow the business. Chris, now your chance to say, what, what is your definition now of success for the business? That's a great question. I think for me and 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 for the company i think we want to see uh, our batteries mobile power batteries being used in every uh, phase and stage of energy consumption that can assist um in either grid uh, strengthening grid stability in uh, connecting people in off-grid markets for the first time um and in multiple forms of, of transport and i think i will be satisfied uh, when I see uh, our batteries um, conquering all of those use cases uh, to create um, a, a future where storage isn't an afterthought or an expensive add-on, but it's actually helped consumers get to the point that they have reliable and clean electricity. Gentlemen, probably what I would say. Th thank you very much for um, th this, this almost hour chat here. Um, Folks, thanks for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed the discussion we've had with um, Chris and, and Luke about the company that is really changing how we look at batteries on the continent and storage, the, the, the ultimate solution um, for so many uh, forms of energy creation and, and the creative ways that, that they've come to solving that solution. 
look forward to tuning in again to another ed podcast of Energy in Africa, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.